0: Hello, I'm Chris Kreicho and this is the New Rust Station Podcast, a 15 to 20 minute show about learning the Rust programming language. This is episode 10, Macros Rule. Couple of items of interest from around the Rust community. First, Julia Evans has a great set of slides titled Why I Heart Rust, which was first a ton of fun, and second has a really delightful art style to it. She also has a series of blog posts about writing a small operating system in Rust on her website, and those posts were back in 2014, well before the language stabilized, so there are a bunch of things which have changed since then, but they're still quite interesting. On a related note, Rust Community Coordinator Steve Klabnik has started a project called InterMedsOS, which is a small teaching operating system built in Rust. It specifically focuses on, and I quote from the landing page, introducing systems programming concepts to experienced developers from other areas of programming. So if that sounds like you, and if you're listening to this show, there's a very decent chance it does, take a look. For my part, I'm hoping to play with S here and there over the next few months just because I'd like to learn some of those pieces myself. Now, for talking about something totally different than operating systems, macros. So far, we have focused entirely on what I would call the more quote unquote normal features of Rust. Even though there have been some substantial differences between Rust and other languages you might know because of its type system, most of the things we've done are still pretty familiar. Today's topic takes us into a bit stranger territory, though. Today we're talking about macros, which are the rustic way to transform your code apart from the usual suspects, that is, functions. And I said transforming your code because macros actually work on the abstract syntax tree that makes up the result of the Rust compiler's first pass on the source that you hand it. When you use a macro, you actually transform one syntax tree into a different syntax tree. Rust has two kinds of macros today. The transformations we'll be dealing with today, which we might call substitution-style macros, and compiler plugins, which are often called procedural macros. There are also plans for fairly dramatic improvements to both kinds of macro system in the future, which I'll come back to and talk about a little bit at the end of the show. There are two reasons I'm focusing on these substitution macros today. One, they're way easier to deal with, and I actually understand them decently well as a result. At least well enough to use them a little here and there, and to explain them decently, and even to write a few of my own for my own play code. I can't say the same for compiler plugins, which let you run arbitrary Rust code in the compilation phase. That's still a bit beyond me. Two, they're stable. Compiler plugins presently only work in nightly Rust. The language development team is interested in making their functionality available to everyone, eventually, not necessarily in the short term, because they're still thinking about the best way to make that functionality available, and until they have a solution everyone is comfortable with, they're not going to stabilize it, precisely because of the guarantees Rust makes about stability, semantic versioning, and all that. So, for now, we'll just stick with the simpler substitution-style macros, which are stable and are a bit easier for regular Rust developers to pick up and understand. Properly speaking, we call these substitution macros macros by example, after the paper which formulated them back in the 1980s. I'll link the paper in the show notes. Fair warning, it's heavy on parentheses because it came out of Lisp and heavy on math because it came out of computer science. Still, it looks like interesting reading. In any case, the macro's own body defines how the substitution behaves for this kind of macro. Rust's macros are not running arbitrary changes on the syntax tree. That's limited to the compiler plugin approach. Instead, they're a fairly sophisticated way of doing just syntax substitutions. If you're familiar with preprocessor macros in C and C++, you can think of these macros by example as being kind of like those, only much more powerful and way safer. In C and C++, preprocessor macros are exactly what they sound like, pre-processing. They transform the text in the source code before any compilation occurs, and that's all they do in terms of transformations. They substitute one bit of text for another, In Rust, macros by example are instead an early part of the compilation process proper, and they don't operate on text. They operate, again, on the abstract syntax tree that the compiler has generated. You might also think of text transformations you can accomplish with a sophisticated regular expression engine. But again, imagine those kinds of substitutions operating on syntax instead of on text elements. Because this difference, that they operate on the abstract syntax tree rather than on the strings in the source code, is exactly the reason that Rust's macros are both more powerful and much safer than C or C++'s. In macros in Rust, you can perform substitutions on items, blocks, statements, patterns, expressions, types, identifiers, paths, and either side of the fat arrow operator, like the one you use in match arms and attribute contents. We talked about attributes a few weeks ago. And of course you can mix and match those as you like. The result is that you're transforming an abstract representation of the syntax. And as such, you're not getting hung up on the same kinds of bugs you might in C or C++. You can certainly write bugs in these macros, and because of where macro processing happens in the compilation process, they can be non-trivial to chase down. But you can't, for example, clobber local variable names. One of the most common mistakes people make when writing macros in C or C++ is to forget that it is just simple text substitution. If you use x in your macro in C, and there's a local variable x someplace where you use that macro, those two things are the same variable when all is said and done, regardless of what you intended. There are lots of ways people get around that. Careful naming, wrapping things in blocks, and so on. But at the end of the day, they all derive from the fact that you can only transform the text of the source code there. Since that's not what we are doing in Rust, and because the macros are implemented with the notion of syntax context, we get a wonderful property called hygiene. What we mean by this is, if you define what seems like it should be an ordinary local variable in a Rust macro, it is a normal local variable. It doesn't clobber the names in use wherever the macro is applied. Thus, you can safely use normal names without worrying that you're accidentally shadowing and potentially blowing away the values in some existing variable. The combination of syntactic substitution, replacing an expression with a different expression rather than just some text with text, for example, lets us write powerful, safe macros, which can make for much more readable code. So let's make this concrete by looking at some examples of macros in the Rust library, and then we'll look at what's involved in building your own macros. Using macros is basically like using functions, with two significant differences. One, all macros, when used, have an exclamation point after their name. For example, the most common macro you'll run into is probably the try macro, which is spelled T-R-Y exclamation point. And of course, if you've looked at almost any of the example code I supply with the different episodes, or for that matter, at any other Rust tutorials or documentation online, you've probably seen a bunch of other common items. I've used the print line macro heavily, and once we got into the test code, I started using the assert and assert equal macros, both of which themselves make use of the panic macro under the covers. So I'll offer some brief comments on each of these, as they're among the macros you'll see most often in Rust. The try macro is used for dealing with result types conveniently. Imagine a function where you want to do a bunch of file operations, each of which can fail and each of which accordingly returns a result. Every time, you want to return a result from your own function if there is an error, or continue if the operation succeeded. You don't want to try to write to a file if you didn't get back a file pointer, for example. Instead of writing match expressions for every result that you get back in this function, you can just wrap each of those with try, which does exactly that, but makes your own code way easier to read. Note, you can't use the regular try macro in main because main doesn't return a result. But one of the examples in the show notes this week is a version of try which works in main. It just returns after printing the error instead of returning the error. The print PrintLine, Write, write WriteLine, and Format macros are convenient wrappers around string formatting and printing or writing to buffers. Format is used by all the others to supply string formatting like you'd see in C's, PrintF, or Python's str.format. The print and write macros provide convenient ways to call the standard I.O. module's functions for printing and writing to buffers with format operations applied to a string supplied to them first. The assert and assert equality macros are used usually for testing. They let you test general Boolean expressions in the first case and equality of values in the second case. If the assertion fails, it uses the panic macro internally. Why? Well, because the panic macro is for unrecoverable, unexpected errors. You can think of it kind of like an exception you can't catch in another language. Panic causes a thread panic, which unravels the stack and dumps it to your standard error. You shouldn't see these very often, and you shouldn't use them very often, but they are appropriate from time to time when you hit an unrecoverable situation in your code. What about writing macros? You create a new macro with, wait for it, a macro. The macro by example, macro creation macro, is called macro rules. I'm not sure I said macro enough times in that last sentence. You write macro rules like any other macro. Macro underscore rules exclamation point. Macro rules is used as a standalone item rather than in the midst of a function or expression like those I discussed immediately above. And of course, other macros can be written as standalone items as well, and it may make good sense to do so depending on the kind of macro you're writing, depending, that is, on the kind of syntax you're substituting. So for example, in the show notes for this episode, I defined two macros so you can see how they work. One of them is the variation on try that works in main, which I mentioned a moment ago. The other example macro takes any identifier, a variable, a function, a type, etc., and prints a little message including that identifier's name. And that second macro shows how macros can use other macros, and in fact, you can even have recursive macro usage, though that macro doesn't have it. Good luck debugging recursive macros, though. It's possible, of course, but it's a lot of work. I actually came up with the idea for that main try macro a few months ago when I was helping a friend get started with Rust and discovered that it's not hard to write a simple macro in Rust. I ended up needing to write something similar in some C++ code I was working on a few weeks later, and let me say from experience, it is much easier to write a macro without shooting yourself in the foot in Rust than it is in C or C++. It isn't all sunshine and roses, though. Macros are powerful, but they are a secondary tool, not the first thing you should reach for. As the Rust book puts it, The drawback is that macro-based code can be harder to understand because fewer of the built-in rules apply. Like an ordinary function, a well-behaved macro can be used without understanding its implementation. However, it can be difficult to design a well-behaved macro. Additionally, compiler errors in macro code are harder to interpret because they describe problems in the expanded code, not the source-level form that developers use. These drawbacks make macros something of a feature of last resort. That's not to say that macros are bad. They are part of Rust because sometimes they're needed for truly concise, well-abstracted code. Just keep this trade-off in mind. I agree with that summary. In general, you should use the more standard language machinery, functions, types, and traits. When you need them, though, macros are around, and they're pretty great. There are a few things that macros cannot do or cannot do well, even with everything we talked about above. First, you cannot use a macro in arbitrary locations in code. You also cannot use them as the field in a struct or as a trait item, for example, because of how the compiler parsing sequence unfolds. Another limit is that hygiene, that nice property that means we don't stomp all over existing names, etc., isn't fully fleshed out. It's better than in C or C++, by a mile, or by a thousand miles, but it doesn't apply to types or lifetimes, so there are still some places where it can throw a wrench into things. There are also some quirks around macro names, because they don't get the same namespace treatment that normal types do. You can actually see this in play in the show notes, where they don't end up in the module for this episode, but in the crate at the top level. And, annoyingly, and unlike pretty much anything else in Rust, the order you define them in matters. You can get around a lot of these issues to varying degrees. For example, Sean Griffin's Diesel library puts all the macros in their own module just to keep things sane. But the limitations are still frustrating. For a much more detailed discussion of these issues and limitations, you should see Nick Cameron's series of blog posts on macros, which I'll link in the show notes. You can also read about some of his plans for a proposed new, better approach for macros that would stabilize the procedural macros we skipped over today, as well as fixing a bunch of these issues in macros by example along the way. And that's a good spot to wrap it up for today. A quick heads up. This coming week, I'll be traveling to start a new job, and I probably won't have a lot of extra time, so you can expect either a bonus episode or no episode next week. I do have a short episode I'd like to do as a bonus episode, which I'm hoping I'll be able to knock out next weekend after I get back, but it depends on just how tired I and my family are after traveling. Thanks to Hamza Sheik and Chris Palmer for sponsoring the show this month. You can see a full list of sponsors in the show notes. If you'd like to sponsor the show, you can set up recurring contributions at patreon.com slash newrestation, or you can contribute as a one-off at Venmo, Dwala, or cash.me. You can find links to each of those, to other things mentioned on the show, and notes and detailed code samples illustrating macros at newrestation.com. You can also follow the show on Twitter, at New Rust Station, or you can follow me there, at Chris Kreitshow. You can help others find the show by rating and reviewing it on iTunes, recommending it in another podcast directory, tweeting about it, or just telling a friend. Thanks to everyone who's added corrections and fixed typos in the show notes lately. I still think pull requests are great. I also love hearing from you. Definitely say hi on social media, add your thoughts in the thread for the episode on the Rust user forum at users.rust-lang.org, or shoot me an email at hello at newruststation.com. Until next time, happy coding.